0: Welcome to What Is It About The Weather, weekly podcast where we explore the many ways in which weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to be talking about what color is your weather. But before we jump into the main topic, let me first say, if you hear some random noises in the background, you know, some days I do a really good job at isolating when I'm recording, find a nice quiet time, no one else is making noise, but sometimes that's just not feasible. And I know even some people go out of their way to record in noisy settings so that you never have the expectation of it being quiet in the background, whereas other folks, you know, go into a studio or that sort of thing. Well, you find with me a mix. You know, in the past, we've had some episodes where I've been outside, or I've just been in an academic environment where you can't get quiet. Well, sometimes kitchen noises get in the way. So if you hear some random kitchen noises tonight, please excuse them. They're just translating into some hopefully very good food for me to eat, and the day is just one of those days where cooking needs to go on while I'm doing my recording. All right. I hope you've had some good weather since the last time we've talked. I know I had some interesting weather. been doing some travel. Been seeing lots of different types of weather. Cool weather, warm weather, dry weather, rainy weather. And you know me. I, I kind of like that mix up, right? I like to experience weather. I don't like it to be the same thing all the time. So it's good for me. But I was reminded this week, as, as you know from listening to the more recent podcast, I've gotten into riding a bike, as in a bicycle. And weather, no doubt, has an impact on that. You know, rainy day, you're not necessarily going to go out. Although some people, for instance, in the UK, ride their bikes in all sorts of weather. And I have some rain gear. I carry that. Went on a ride not too long ago, actually this past week, where I carried a little rain jacket in the back. They're very lightweight, right? So you can stuff it in the jersey. Keep it with you. And it did rain on me but I'm the type of person that was like, oh, this actually feels kind of good. The funny part was it was on like a 30-mile ride and is with all things that happen. They always happen when you're the furthest point from where you're going to be in your ride. So at about mile 15, of course, that weather came upon me, but I knew it was going to. Going out, there were some storms in the area, and while they looked like they were dying down, there was a real possibility that they were going to at least clip me with a little bit of rain, and they did, but it was kind of refreshing, cooled me off a little bit. And that's okay by me. However, however, I was also reminded of the rule of thumb that just because the weather happened the day before, the day before that, or even the day before that, doesn't mean it's not going to have impacts on you. Now, I was riding in a place that had that's on an old railroad bed, and this is not uncommon. We see more and more of these trails popping up around the country for walkers, hikers, bikers, whatever it might be, rollerbladers etc they're kind of multi-use trails but railroad beds are usually pretty good for this sort of thing because railroads can't handle very steep grades overall and the longer they can use a rail bed the better so some of these trails are kind of combo but usually you get these nice long stretches where it's a, a flat or at least an incline that is tolerable and i don't know some people who ride bikes don't it don't like them. I actually I don't like the what we call false flats that are mild inclines. It can kind of drive you crazy after a while. In any case, let's ride one of these trails. I, I'm getting off the point here. And there was this beautiful tunnel that I came up to. Now this was a trail that while there are some road crossings, they've gone out of their way to build some bridges and some little conduits underneath roads to minimize how many road crossings there are, making it more of a true trail. However, there was this one thing that was a beautiful, It's clearly an old railroad tunnel because it was this great stone fixture. The height was, was really high, but it was gorgeous. It was kind of carved into this gorge. So I don't know what was up above at some point in time, but clearly the railroad ran through and maybe there was an old road above, you know, some sort of thing from point A to point B. This is a railroad from the early to mid-1900s, so I can imagine it was a road or some other sort of I don't know, transportation alley, if you will, going from point A to point B above. But this tunnel looked gorgeous, and I even thought to myself, wow, I should stop on the way back, take a picture. But it was heading downhill, so a lot of times when you're going downhill, you're trying to keep yourself going. You don't want to lose that momentum. And I thought to myself, great, you know, I'm just going to keep going by. And man, I got in that tunnel going full speed, and whammo the effects of past weather the previous day actually when there had been a fair amount of storms actually the previous few days where there had been kind of an ongoing pattern of afternoon storms led to a wet tunnel now that'd be all fine and dandy if it was just one little puddle or if there weren't any other elements in that water but there was a lot of mud and muck in the water because it had been enough rain to kind of wash some stuff in in this tunnel. There was nowhere for the water to go to the sides. So along this trail in the most places, there's, you know, little, if you will, gutters or, you know, ditches that the water could flow into. Well, if anything, the water flowed out of those ditches onto this piece of road. So it was just a big, muddy mess. And you ever spent some time driving behind a car or a big truck and you get frustrated because that truck is kicking up water or mud? And you're thankful for the ones that do have mud flaps. Well, you can put a little thing on the back of a bike that's essentially a mud flap. And it kind of can save the day. Not just from the moisture, but from the dirt. So I recently got this new bike uniform. And it was I had a family member deem me the electric green frog. It's a very bright uniform. And I went from being an electric green frog to a brown spotted electric green frog very quickly as everything on me. Had mud dots all over it. And sure enough, it wasn't just having checked the weather for that day when I knew it was going to be a warm day. Chance of storms was all prepared for that, but I had not thought about the day before weather and the impacts it might have. Now, in all fairness, this was a part of the trail I hadn't ridden before, and next time I'll know to deal with that. But it made for quite a mess when I got back to my car and I was all hot and sweaty and just wanted to get in the car and be done. But instead, I was getting mud all over everything. So, I certainly had some weather impacts. I could shrug those off. Overall, I was happy with the weather this week, so I'm not going to complain too much. All right, let's get on to the main story. Now, if you hear me babble about my weather impacts, what color is your weather? Now, we've talked in the past about how weather impacts things we see, right? Right? And how weather itself is a reflection of different types of vision experiences. Now, of all the senses, vision is one that we, realistically, almost always weather plays a role in it. Yeah, the exception, and you've heard me talk about some of the things like heat you don't necessarily see, but you can look around and see impacts of it being too hot or too cold. You know, the exception might be wind if you're not in a place where you're seeing a flag fly if it's a windy day. So you may not have the visual cues around, but quite often you can, if you're sitting inside a building even. Use your eyes and gauge what the weather's going to be like by seeing things in the outside environment. But even in that case, weather from afar, you can grasp sometimes and when you're outside lightning is an example right lightning you can see from 100 200 miles at night and not have any other representation of the fact that somewhere there's a thunderstorm going on cuz the the sound's not going to travel all the way to you you're not going to feel the rain and it may be so different from what you're experiencing but you know that that weather's going on somewhere even with something like rain which can be a very tactile experience you know you feel the rain rain makes a muddy tunnel <laughs> right so uh, you know i felt it all over all over the back of my jersey or you may hear the rain off a roof or another surface like a window or you're running windshield wipers in the car so you get that that audio experience but you can just see the rain and not have heard it or not have felt it and know that it's going on you know a classic Example also is a rainbow. You don't get the rainbows without that rainy weather. So you've got weather to experience it. But visually, you don't experience sound of a rainbow. You don't touch the rainbow. But it's this stunning visual experience brought to us by the weather. So I thought I'd take some time. And I decided to do it seasonally. I've picked an example from each season to talk about how weather influences the world around us in some different ways that maybe you have or haven't thought about some of these are things you probably have heard about before or maybe they're not some of them are things that I would know about because I study the weather and because I know the experiences and other people might have them individually but you know might be new for you so hopefully these are some ideas that you might enjoy and again a new way to think about weather when you're out and about in the world so let's start with spring, right? A time of renewal, a time of new growth, new birth, whatever it is. And we always think of spring as being associated with flowers. It's, it's the blooming season, if you will. Things are starting to warm up. But what you might not know is that weather can actually influence the color of those blooms. That's right. Weather can influence the color of the blooms. Now, it's obvious to think that if it's real dry or, you know, if the weather is different, that maybe, you know, flowers don't last as long. A storm comes through and knocks all the flowers off a tree. Certainly, certainly shortens the season. Or, like I said, if it's real dry, maybe the blooms aren't effective. Or maybe you get a freeze. And right as that thing was about the bloom, all the blooms are ruined. But just general temperature in itself. So temperature can actually, in the, in the difference in temperature from the norm, can influence the different pigments in flowers. And this is true in different parts of the world. So it can happen in alpine environments. It can happen in more tropical environments. But it can influence how deep the colors are. And whether, for instance, you might get more of a pinkish color versus a deep red color. In a thing like a hibiscus or a thing like some sort of alpine flower, like I said. And this has to do with the temperatures during both the daytime and the night. But the hotter the temperature, usually the more vibrant those colors are. So ideally, you do want some heat. You do want the days to get particularly warm during the spring to optimize how those pigments are represented in the, in the blooms. Something I never knew about. So a hibiscus, if you know, if you're familiar with hibiscus, if they grow in your area, it's a classic example of this. This is one where that kind of orange-ish color that they have are brought about by a chemical in there called carotenoids. Or carotenoids, I'm probably saying that right. Not right, excuse me. And the hotter it is, the more intense those things are in their representation in the blood. I don't know. I thought that was kind of unique. So let's move on to summer. Pick something different for summer. And as I was driving around this week, I was reminded of one that I get asked about from time to time. And it has to do with blue skies. Okay? So we think of blue skies. And I get this question from time to time. Is Why does the sky seem bluer during the winter time versus the summer and there's some real reasons behind this and it has to do again with weather. Now it can have to do with other things too but let, let's look at it from the weather standpoint and we'll touch on the others. The colors we see in the sky are primarily delivered to us through two types of scattering and I'm not going to get hung up in too much of the details because that's a whole other podcast and I will have some things in the show notes where you can read about them. One is called Rayleigh scattering and this really has to do with the different spectrum. And, and we've talked about this, but you probably know we've got things like ultraviolet. You Just look at a rainbow. Rainbow's broken up, right? Violet, then the blues, and so on. And we, we work our way through the color spectrum up to the reds. And these all come to us in different wavelengths. So the visible spectrum, even at that white light, can be broken down into a bunch of colors. And that's what we see with a rainbow or a prism, right? But each of them has a different wavelength. And the very tiny molecules in the upper atmosphere are influencing those waves as they reach the Earth. And what that results in is the blue wavelength is just right for scattering, right? It's the optimal one for scattering. And so those things get scattered towards us, right? So instead of just being out in the sky, those blue wavelengths get pushed towards us on the surface that's why our sky is blue the other one is what's called me scattering and me scattering is a different type and it has to do with larger molecules like water as an example or other things that you might find in the atmosphere and it is let's say indiscriminate towards colors and so it sends them all towards us and so actually it creates more of a white light effect so as you can imagine You've got this blue going around, but the me scattering is more prone to picking up everything. And let's say the best way to think about it is, is it, because it's a white light, it whitewashes everything. Now, you heard me mention water. And the key here is, during the summer, the atmosphere can hold more water vapor. It's just a natural thing. It's part of the whole atmospheric chemistry sort of thing. And you've probably felt this way you know in the winter time how you feel you get dried out well it's not that they the relative humidity that you hear us talk from time to time may be the same level but the absolute amount of water that the atmosphere can hold is less so during the winter time there's usually less moisture to do this me scattering and it is why on an you know apples to apples day that wintertime sky or you know fall into early spring even is going to have a darker blue than the summertime now as i mentioned pollutants or other things going on can influence all these things you know whether it's pollen in the air in the springtime or whether it's man-made pollutants whatever it is those can also influence the depth of that blue sky but let's say it's been a nice clear night and you know been rain recently to kind of flush all the other things in the atmosphere out near us. So if you're doing that comparison, but that's why you see those dark blue skies or those deeper blue skies in the wintertime and maybe sensory. And I, you know, I notice that you can look at a sky and go, uh, it looks hot outside, right? Well, you're not necessarily wrong on that because that's precisely what's going on is if you're in a period where you're kind of seeing those generally lighter blue skies our brain kind of sends us that trigger that it's more likely a warm season than when we see those dark blue skies. All right, so let's move on to fall. Now, you heard me in the spring talk about the pigments in the flowers, and generally there are three types of pigments, and I'm not going to get into names because I know I already messed up that first one, but there's there's one that creates the yellows, there's one that kind of creates the oranges, and then there's one that does sort of the reds and purples, and each one of them is influenced a little differently by weather. But the interesting thing about fall foliage, and you've probably heard this before, that that it can be influenced by the weather. But what's unique about this case is it's the weather that happens in the spring and summer that has as much of an impact on what that fall foliage looks like. So in the spring, or in the blooming season, in the early growing season, you want it to be warm, not too cold, not too hot, but to where it really encourages growth, but lots of moisture. Because you want those foliage elements, the leaves, to get as full of chlorophyll as they can, right? So that happens earlier in the season, that early growth phase. And you've probably seen it before. Maybe in a year where it's drier, the leaves don't get quite as big. Well, it's not only that the leaves don't get quite as big, they're just not as primed, if you will, for the fall foliage. But when we get to late summer and early fall, you want the reverse to happen. You actually want it to dry out a little bit. The other thing that you want to have happen, and and this probably seems a little more obvious, is you want the nights to be cool because that coolness actually traps those chemicals in the leaves. But you don't want it to be cold. You don't want it to completely kill off the leaf. So you want to avoid frost. So... Wet spring, summer, dry late summer, early fall, cool but not harshly cold will give you the optimal foliage season. And you want that to last for a long time. You want a nice kind of cool fall to give you the longest foliage, not a lot of windy days, not uh, early frost, those sort of things, because those will ruin, ruin the foliage. But that's what's going to give you those vibrant fall colors. All right. One more season. Let's hit on here. Wintertime. And I wanted to, you guys all know I'm into snow and I wanted to talk to the idea of snow blindness or that kind of whiteout effect and what causes it. And this one's a little different in that we're talking about again, about removing color. So what, what gives us that whiteout feeling and there's a couple of things going on that are, that are interesting here. So the first thing you really need is a fresh snow or a snow surface that's unbroken. You, you want it to not have been stepped on a lot or, or something that creates sort of an artificial interference with a natural surface. But you also want a cloudy day or an overcast day. Or you can add blowing snow into the mix. But you can get white out even without a lot of blowing snow. Because essentially what happens is, With snow and clouds, you're creating a way for light from the surface, this is the interesting part, and the sky to more or less create the same volume of light shining in your eyes. And how does this achieve? This is achieved through albedo. So the surface of snow is very reflective, lighter surfaces are. So when you think about asphalt on the ground, asphalt absorbs a lot of the sun's radiation, and it, including in the visual spectrum. That's this darkness or the blackness, if you will. So blackness is an absence of light, right? Whereas white is, a, is the pure light. When you have that going on, when you have this albedo effect going on, it means any light that's coming down is also just bounced back up towards our eyes, Right? with this scattering influence again, along with some other things. But more or less, it means that when we're looking at the, the sky or the surface, we can't tell the difference because the light's more or less reaching us at the same time. So it looks like a big white sheet. The exception to that is anything that's really close to you that might be of darker color. But the further it away, the more likely it is it's just going to be whitewashed or whited out. Now, there is something important with this too. is We have this tendency, unfortunately, to... You know, not always wear sunglasses in the wintertime and stuff, but this can be a very serious time. And if you've ever done any outdoor sports, for instance, you know, skiing or snowboarding or anything, you'll recognize this, that if you spend any time outside, you can get a really bad sunburn in the wintertime. But you can also have the same impact on your eyes. You can essentially sunburn your eyes. And it just happens because, you know, we think that putting on sunglasses is going to not help it's going to make this condition even worse but you can actually get specialized glasses that help you see better in the winter time and do protect you from those uv rays so if you find yourself in those conditions a lot maybe something to keep in mind so the weather again it's it's so many ways it can influence us and even in the basic way we see colors whether it's in the things like the plants themselves whether it's in the sky in the background or it's just in how we interpret our surroundings. It changes the way light reaches us. It changes the way the plants use light and change colors. And it's changes just in how the Earth's radiation is reflected to us on the planet below. Kind of cool. Well, I thought it was kind of cool. And like I said, it, it, during the summertime when I get those lighter blue skies and I'm thinking about how hot it is outside, I was reminded of this recently and thought it would be an interesting thing to share some of those. So, Like I said, some of that stuff I knew, but some of the stuff when I was investigating the episode, I had no idea. It's, I, you know, I, I thought it might be possible, but I didn't know until I looked. I will put in the show notes a little link to each one of these seasons so you can go read about it some more. Hopefully you'll find that interesting. All right, before I let you go, I did want to just take a moment to touch on rainbows. Because you heard me mention that in the beginning, and you're probably wondering, why in the world didn't you talk more about rainbows in this episode? But I decided not to go that route. But you also heard me mentioning scattering. And scattering is one of the ways that light is essentially how we see colors and things. Very, scattering is very important to that. But rainbows is not a scattering effect. You know, your instinct may be to think that it is, but it really is a very different process. So when the light enters that drop, each of those wavelengths hits differently within that droplet. And by the time it's reflected back to us, they've been separated out. And that's the concept of how a prism works as well. It's the same idea. It splits it up. Reflection, not scattering. I don't know, something a little different. I You may find that not interesting, but I thought it was kind of cool. And I may put something about that in the show notes too. I think how rainbows work is kind of a neat thing and how the optimal angle for seeing a rainbow is, is different and why we get, you know, double rainbows even and, and what creates that effect. So maybe take a look and enjoy that. Now, I'm going to let you guys get on to your weather and your weather-related impacts and just say, if you want to reach out, Share any experience related to the weather, show idea, comments on a past show, this show, whatever it might be. What is it about the weather at gmail.com is always. But until next time, don't ever forget, there's much more to weather than the weather itself.